Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everybody. Um, before I start, uh, is there anybody here from our Jamaica mission team? I know they got back last night. They're probably pretty pooped out. Where? Where, where, where? There's a hand. Marianne, welcome back. And way at the back there, too. Cynthia, you weren't there. Oh, oh Jacob, hi, welcome back. Anyways, we, we're, we're so great that you guys are back. We're looking forward to hearing how it went. And, uh, and so welcome, welcome home. Thanks for praying for them, everybody. Uh, there were storms yesterday as they were trying to get away, and so uh, we were praying that everything would come together okay, and here they are. So uh, thanks, thanks to God for that. This summer we've been in this series called Roots, and what we're doing is we're, we've been looking at uh, the roots of our Christian life and those things that we engage in, those rhythms and traditions that can help us grow as the people of God. So we've looked at prayer, we've looked at listening uh, to God, um, we've uh, looked at worship, we've looked at service. Brian talked about each of us using our unique gifts to serve. Um, then we talked about uh, how to use the Bible, how we use the Bible. Uh, then we had camp. We had uh, two wonderful Sundays around our camp, and today we're going to be talking about mission. So I want to ask you, what is uh, the mission of the church? Make disciples, love one another, glorify God, go into all the world and preach the gospel, follow the creator. This section is not saying anything. We're going to give you a chance here. This is a good school teacher, right? Love your neighbor. Okay, good, good. Uh, okay, so that's, that's, uh, that's good. So I want to ask this question, though. Um, if we've defined our series this way, can you go ahead to the next slide, please, Dean? There we go. So we've defined our series this way. Roots attach, anchor, absorb, and offer nourishment. Healthy roots bring healthy growth. As followers of Jesus, we have roots, too. We engage ourselves, mind, body, and soul, in traditions and rhythms that attach us to our source, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is through our spiritual roots that we connect, receive, give, learn, and grow. So here's my question. How does our mission act as one of our roots? If that's how we're defining what roots do, how does our mission do that? I'll give you a few minutes to think about it. In my, uh, in my home, I don't know if I may have told this story already, but in, in my home when Cam and Chelsea were growing up, we would always do Bible reading in the morning before they'd go off to school. And uh, we would take a chapter, and they could choose an Old Testament book or a New Testament book, and we would take it, uh, and we would go through it chapter by chapter, reading a chapter in the morning. And so we would read the chapter together, and then I would say, so what do you think? And then, you know, Cameron and Chelsea would kind of tell me what they thought or how the, how the chapter kind of impacted them or what they thought the author was trying to say. And Chelsea eventually got wise to how this worked because uh, after a while, she said to me, she said, Dad, you're just going to tell us what it means anyway. <laughs> right? Because after they would, they would say their thing, then I would say, now let me show you what I saw. And, and I would kind of go through it and, and, uh, and unpack it for them. But at least they were learning to kind of dig into it uh, for themselves, so that's good. So I'm going to do a little bit of that today. The question that I pose to you, I'm going to answer. Uh, I'm going to answer for you and, and encourage you to kind of reflect on how our mission 
uh, is one of our roots as followers of Jesus. And I want to start by telling you the story of Leslie Newbegin. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Leslie Newbegin? Okay, there's a few. So Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India uh, in, the, uh, in the middle part of the 20th century, from 1947, or, yeah, 1947 to 1974. Um, he retired and returned to England. And when he returned to England, he was, he was appalled at the state of the church in England and the Western world. He had just come from spending 30 years of his life engaging the culture in India for Christ. And when he came back, he found that, that you know, society had changed, the Western world had changed, Christendom had kind of been left behind, you know, the whole idea of the, of the Christian state, that had all been kind of rejected in the, in the 50s and 60s, and society had, had changed and begun to change drastically, and the church had had one of two responses to that that he could see. One was, and remember, we're talking about the Western world here, Western civilized world. And he said one, one response was that the church had withdrawn from the culture and had adopted a judgmental, condemning attitude toward the culture. And the church now stood in opposition to the culture and, and cast this shadow over the culture for all of the wrong that it saw and found in the culture. And the other response was that he saw that other churches had, had tried so hard to accommodate the culture that they'd fallen into it. And you couldn't really tell any difference now between, between the church world and the cultural world. They were indistinguishable. And he was greatly troubled by this. And he was greatly troubled by this because neither posture was having any impact on the culture. Neither culture was speaking to the culture, or to the, neither, neither of the church cultures or approaches was making a difference in the culture. And he, having been a missionary, believed that that was the role of the church. That was the role of the Christian, was to engage and impact the culture for Christ. And he didn't see that happening in the church in the West. He wrote two great books in the late 1980s, mid to late 1980s. One was called Foolishness to the Greeks, and I would re highly recommend you read both of them. Foolishness to the Greeks, which is a book that talks about, you know, what Paul says about the gospel. Um, and, and then he, he talks, he wrote, then he wrote a gospel for a pluralist society, where he talked about how do we then, in this new world, in this new society, how do we, as the church, as the people of God, how do we engage the culture in a way that we can impact them for Jesus? And, we had to, and he's basically saying we have to learn a new way. It's not a new way, it's the old way. We have to rediscover it. And that's what those two books were about. And he posed this question. How can the church have a missionary encounter with the culture of the West? And he brought the principles that he had used in India and the things that he had learned as a missionary and he brought them into his books and he, and he began to work with churches in England and churches in, in other parts of the world to teach churches how to engage the culture in a missional way. And he became someone who is considered the father of missional church in our generation. And the basic idea is this. You have to know your culture you have to know your story as a, as a Christian, and you have to know the culture you're trying to reach. 
And he said, don't stand over against the other culture and don't fall into it either. But learn to be in the world, but not of the world. Now you would think that that's a pretty easy thing. That sounds familiar to all of us. The problem is, is that the church wasn't doing it. And the church still largely, most of the church still isn't doing it. How to be in the world, but not of the world. That was 30 years ago. I read, I read um, Gospel and Plural Society 20 years ago, and it had a huge impact on me in terms of what I believe God was calling the church to become in our day and the future. So what is our mission as Christ followers, and how do we do it? Well, the best place to start is to follow the example of Jesus. To look at the example of Jesus. We are to be imitators of God. And live lives of love like Jesus. So, how did Jesus do it? Well, what do we read in John chapter 20 and verse 21? In the same way the Father has sent me, so I am sending you also. And having said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This idea of being sent. Thirteen times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the fact that he is sent from the Father. He is someone on a mission. We can look at passages in the gospel. You know the story where Jesus was in one town and he was healing and doing miracles and, and there was a crowd gathered and the disciples said, oh, they thought, okay, there's more work to do here. And then Jesus said, no, 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 I have to go to the next town because this is why I came. Jesus was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission. And once he realized that that mission was culminating in Jerusalem, and his death in Jerusalem, it said it's, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And so he was constantly living his life in a way that moved him forward in his mission. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But he says, in the same way the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How are we to go into the world in the same way that Jesus did? How did Jesus go into the world as God incarnate? As God in the flesh. And so we go into the world as Christ's people. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of God. We go into the world as God's people, as God with flesh on in our world. In the same way that Jesus was sent. We, as the people of God, are sent into our world. And notice he says, And he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, just in these few verses, there's so much theology packed into here. Because what he's, what he's referring to is the new birth. The spiritual new birth. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's, you're going back out, not as the same person you always were. You're now going back out into the world as a spirit-born, spirit-led child of God. You're going back no longer merely human. You're now going back out into the world as God's person in the world, empowered with the very presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Gary, you're here. You went to Jamaica. You didn't put your hand up. Welcome home. But we go out as God's people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. We're going to be looking at that over the course of the next uh, several months through the fall as we, looked at how, as we look more deeply at how Jesus loved. And one of the things that Jesus said is, I don't do anything on my own. 
Everything I do and say I've received from the Father. Jesus was so tuned into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had full access to Jesus so that everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus done, did was through the Holy Spirit. It was led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit living and working through Jesus. That's what it is to be God incarnate. And that's why Jesus could say to his followers, I've done great things, but you're going to do even greater things. There will be even greater works done through you. And why he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Some theologians see in this passage, you know, John's intonation of the second Adam. That just as when Adam was made and God breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living soul, so here Jesus breathed into his disciples and through the Holy Spirit they become part of the second Adam, which Paul talks about in his letters. It's a new person. It's a new humanity. It's a new way of being in the world. Just like Jesus was. The basic idea is to be in the world as God is in the world. That's how Jesus was. And that's how we go into the world as well. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of the People of God, looks at the example of of, uh, Abraham. And again, this is a great book to read about what is the mission of the church, going all the way back to the Old Testament. And he unpacks the story of Abraham in such a great way. Look at what he says here. He, he takes, this is Genesis 18 and verse 19. And this is where God is, is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's reflecting on Abraham uh, and whether or not he should involve Abraham in the decision of what he's going to do there. And this is what he says about Abraham. He says, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And Christopher Wright unpacks this passage and this, and this musing of God about God's choosing of Abraham and what God says about the choosing of Abraham. And these two words that are translated right and just, the Hebrew words are sedek and mispat, and they are root words that can be translated into justice and righteousness in lots of different ways. But the root words themselves and these in a combination are a compound noun. In the Hebrew, they're a compound noun. They go together, right and just, or righteousness and justice. And right says it's kind of like our, the way we use the phrase law and order, not in the television sense. Or social justice. They're two words that go together to mean something. They mean something as a combined whole. And what he's saying here is he's saying that you know, he chose Abraham because he knows that Abraham is going to raise his family and his children and future generations in the way of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase, too. Do you know that before Christians, the followers of Jesus, were called Christians, they were known as followers of the way? And perhaps one of the things that we have to rediscover as the church in our generation, because Christianity has such a black eye and a poor reputation in our world, maybe we need to actually set that name aside and return to being followers of the way. Just as Abraham 
was known by God to be someone who would teach his children to follow the way of the Lord. And what is that way? It's defined here in these Hebrew words by Sedek and Mispat. And here's what Wright says about those words. In their combined state, they mean doing what needs to be done in a situation if people and circumstances are to be restored to what is right. Now here's what he's saying. So, so the right and the just, the righteousness and the justice combine, and it's an action, it's an activity. It's not, it's not just a state of being, it's an activity. What he, the way of the Lord is the people of God acting in ways and in particular situations, doing what needs to be done in order for people to be restored and for the situation to be made right. So there is this activity that brings about restoration. Realizing that things are broken, that the world is broken, that relationships are broken. And as able to move into those situations and bring restoration. That's exactly what Jesus did. He reconciled us to the Father. He did what only he could do. What needed to be done for humanity when Jesus walked the earth? Things needed to be made right. We weren't able to make them right for ourselves. Jesus made them right. He did what needed to be done to restore us to the Father. And what Wright says in his book, The Mission of the People of God, is that this is the component that is at the heart of what it is to be the people of God in the world. To be acting on God's behalf, to be part of God's restoration, his reconciling action and movement in the world. Believing that God, as Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not just the church. The world. We're just there first. But that God is reconciling the world. He's doing a work of reconciliation. He's doing a work of restoration of all the things that he has made. This is what Jesus did. And this is what he sends his disciples out to do. In the same way that the Father sent me, I send you. God incarnate, participating in the way of the Lord. This is one of my favorite passages uh, for, for uh, considering the mission of the church from Matthew chapter 10. One of my favorite missional texts in all of the Bible. And it answers the question of how we go. Where Matthew writes, the twelve he sent out with the following instructions. The dot, dot, dot referred to where he says to them, you know, don't go to the Gentiles, stay with the, with the uh, cities of, of Israel. It wasn't time yet for them to go out. You know, this is when he's sending the twelve out initially uh, to give them the experience of what it is to be ambassadors for the kingdom. The twelve he sent out with the following instructions. While you're going, proclaim openly the kingdom of heaven has come near. We spent a whole year talking about the kingdom now and what that meant. And Jesus' very message, what was Jesus' gospel? Jesus' gospel was the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he called people to respond to the reality of the presence of the kingdom. 
While you're going, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. But it wasn't just a message. Look, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. These are works of restoration. These are works of reconciliation. These are works of freedom. And we know that Jesus did that. Jesus' ministry was peppered with these kinds of miracles, wasn't it? As a demonstration of the reality of the presence of the kingdom. And we talked about, when we talked in our series about the kingdom, and we looked at these and we said, why can't these things happen now? And they do. I mentioned to you even even stories of, of people being raised from the dead. There are testimonies in the church of Jesus Christ where that has happened. So Jesus sends them out with this message. And he says, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we, say, we, we marry these two together and we say, you know, we're, ju- we're not just social workers. We're not just going out into the world to do good works on behalf of people. We're going out as part of God's kingdom to participate in his work of restoration and reconciliation and tell people why we're doing it. Because the kingdom of God is near. And this could be their opportunity for them to join. For them to become part of it. But remember, Jesus said to them at the book of Acts as they were getting started, he said, but wait. Wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to get going after the resurrection, once all of this was making sense to them and they could kind of clearly see what what Jesus was calling them to do, they were ready to get going, chomping at the bit. And he said, just wait. Because it's not you who do it. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because he is the one who's going to do it and do it through you. And so we spent time another year learning about that through our Spirit-Powered Church series looking at the book of Acts and looking at the church and how much of a difference the Holy Spirit makes when we let him lead. Are you with me in beginning to put these things together? Beginning to put the pieces together of how God is speaking to the church, of how the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church and not just Forest Brook, but all of his church. Because God hasn't given up on the world. The Holy Spirit hasn't given up on the world. His ministry of reconciliation, his ministry of restoration hasn't stopped. He's just trying to wake us up to get back into it and to re-engage the world just as Jesus did. And that means that we need that empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to be involved in acts of restoration and freedom. And we need to share our kingdom message. Do we know the story that we are a part of? Because that's what we're doing. We're just telling our story as we come alongside broken people and inviting them to find their story in the midst of God's greater story. How do we prepare ourselves for mission every day? Another influence in my life, as you know, has been A.W. Tozer in these last few years. And in his book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, Tozer gives a fourfold process and he says, here's how you do every day, face, start every day this way. If you, want, if you want to have the Holy Spirit have a grip on your life in such a way that you're being guided and directed by him, 
here's how you, you take every day. And I've taken his, his four points and I've kind of uh, changed them just a little bit to make them um, easier for us to grasp. But these are essentially what he said. I've got five here. Present yourself to the Lord. Again, we've shared these before, right, in our congregation. Present yourself to the Lord. Say, Lord, here I am. Isaiah says he has this great, you know, experience with God. And then God's, you know, he's in the presence of God. And, and God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, me, me, send me. Is that ever our attitude? Is that ever something we say to God? Here I am. Send me. So present yourself to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Ask him to purify your heart. Ask him to purify your heart. Because it's the Holy Spirit who needs to work through us. It's not acting in our own wisdom. It's not following our own leads. It's not making our own best decisions and judgments. It's relying and trusting on the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and make sure that our motivations are pure. Ask to be filled with the Spirit. You know, God says he gives the Spirit to those who ask. We've talked a lot about that as well. As Tozer says, the Holy Spirit is with us always. But there's a huge difference between the presence of the Holy Spirit and your and my awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. To become God-conscious is to be more aware of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And ask God to send you into the world. That day, that day. And then finally, to obey the prompting of the Spirit. As God speaks, as God nudges, as God prompts to have faith and obey, this is where risk comes in. After Christmas, we're going to be looking at faith and what it is to move mountains as the people of God, and it requires risk. It requires you and I taking a chance on God and stepping out into the void where we can't quite sense where our feet are going to land. But that's God's space, and that's where God does his thing, and that's where miracles happen, and that's where incredible things take place for the kingdom of God. So once we learn to hear how God speaks to us and we hear his voice and we're presenting ourselves and we're saying, here I am, send me, then when God speaks, we need to follow through. And God nudges us and says, talk to that person. Go over and join that person. Then we need to be courageous enough to actually go and do it in order to see what God is doing even more. So it's more than just good intentions, isn't it? It's actually being on mission by being aware that God is himself on a mission and calling us to be part of it. And as we listen to him and as we walk with him, he'll do his mission through us in the world. So this is our message to love like Jesus out there. Not just in here, but out there. Everywhere that we go. Newbigin says this, he says, the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back 
as agents of God's kingship. That's so true. Right? We're not called out of the world so that we can have this holy huddle here together and stand in opposition to the world and stand in judgment to the world and wait for them to go to hell and us to go to heaven. And there you go, that's the story. That's not our story. That's not God's story. God's story is to save the world. And that's why Christ came. And that work is still going on. That message is still unfolding. That ministry of reconciliation until Christ returns is going to continue. And we're still on mission as the people of God. And so our desire is still, by all means, let's gather, let's get together, let's, let's enjoy one another, but let's remember that when we walk through those doors, that's what we're intended for. We're intended for out there in our workplaces, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our universities, in our, in our homes. This is where we shine as the people of God. And so we prepare ourselves and we go and proclaim God's kingdom and work on behalf of his kingdom for res- reconciliation and restoration. So let's return to the question. How is that part of our roots? I hope it's pretty evident. I hope it's pretty pretty easy to make that connection. How living a life like that actually nourishes and grows us and matures us. We're at the time of year when um, we're going back to school. And uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like for any of our students that are going back to high school or university or even elementary school or any of our teachers that are returning to work in the workplace, we would like to bless you and commission you in your very unique workplaces. We all, we are all ambassadors for Christ everywhere we go. Right? But today, because of our time, the time we are in the year, and because so much of our culture follows the academic school year, if that applies to you in any way, right, um, would, would, and, and you're willing to let us bless you, would you stand? If you're a student, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a university professor at, at U of T, uh, that's Brian, that's Brian, by the way. Um, right? If you're part of that in any, in any way at all, Can we give these folks a round of applause? That's a real special calling. That's wonderful. Let's just pray for just a second for them. Heavenly Father, um, we are your people, a people called by your name, and that is such a, a blessing. In a few minutes, we're going to be finished here, Lord, and we're going to be leaving your presence here to go out as your presence into our world. And um, we just ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We think specifically of those who are standing now, who are returning to the world of academia, either as students or as high school students or university students or as teachers, professors, uh, college teachers, whatever they're doing, Lord. Uh, they're going out into a world uh, which in many ways is even hostile to your, to your gospel. 
But Lord, um, nobody can be hostile to your love. And so we pray for those that are standing a special blessing. Lord, that you this year would make them so aware of your presence with them that you would give them faith and boldness that you would, through them, begin to make a real difference in their schools, their universities, um, their, um, just where, wherever they are going. Lord, would you magnify Jesus in them and through them? Would you give them a sensitivity to those around them who are lonely or lost or broken, who are most, most ready for your, your wonderful love and reconciliation? Holy Spirit, you're already ahead of them working. Open their eyes, open their hearts to you so that they can see you and sense you. And then, Lord, give them the spirit and courage to follow your lead. And we ask for a great blessing in all that is going to happen through them. We pray your protection over them, Lord, and ask that you, you would commission them for this very special environment in which they work. And I pray this in Jesus' name. We all do, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, everybody. So wherever you're going back to work today or this, this week, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, maybe you're retired and you're going to spend it on the golf course, whatever, whatever you're doing, right? Um, live your life on mission. Live your life on mission every single day. Because that's what we're called to do. And that makes all the difference for the kingdom of God. We're in for an exciting year. We're going to be unpacking all of this a lot more deeply as we look at Jesus and how Jesus loved and how you have faith that moves mountains. And um, I just invite you to be part of everything God's doing at Forestbrook. Amen.